Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see everyone, to know that you're all safe, that you're able to be here. I am very thankful for each and every face that I see here this morning. Psalm 27 opens this way. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And then in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus tells us that you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father that is in heaven. I don't have to tell you what happened the last few days. We all know... There's destruction and devastation and fear in a way that I have rarely seen in my life. And I know we come here in part to get away from everything that's happening in the world. We come here to take comfort in God's people, and that is true, and that is a good thing. I promise I do have a sermon that's unrelated to this. That may be the last thing we want to think about today. But I just want to take two seconds to ground ourselves before we start. As we read, God is our light. He blesses us more than we know. And as far as I know, everyone in this congregation was very, very, very blessed. As far as I know, no one here was injured. No one here lost their lives. That is a very great thing, and I am very thankful for that. Praise God, for he is our light in the darkness. But don't forget that God has called us to be a light to the world around us. Not that we in ourselves have light, but that we reflect his light to others. And so I'm very thankful that everyone here is fine. But don't forget what we are called to do. Reflect God's light to those here, to our neighbors, to anyone we can. Let's be servants of love. A people who give of ourselves... And who give others a reason to glorify the name of God. I'm going to start this morning with a prayer. Father, we are humbled. 
and we are amazed at your power. We read over and over in Scripture how you control all nature, how you've tamed the beasts of the great deep, how everything in the world is controlled by you in as little as a word. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for being our light. Father, be with those who have lost friends and family and homes and cars and everything else. But Father, help us to help them. Empty us out as your servants. Help us to spend our time loving our neighbors, reflecting your light and love. Give us the awareness to see opportunities and the boldness to fill them. Let us be your servants in all things, not for our sakes, but for your glory, your love, and your gospel. Amen. If you want to turn to Psalm chapter 32, Psalm 32 is where we're going to be for the majority of this lesson. I hope I'm not the first person that's ever told you this. I hope this isn't the first time you've ever heard this, but Christians sin sometimes. I know we like to pretend sometimes that we don't, but that's the fact of the matter, is Christians sin sometimes. Everyone here who is a Christian knows that by first-hand experience. That doesn't mean we should be living in sin. That doesn't mean we should be settled in a life of sin, that we should be unbothered by our sin. We can't do that, and we know that. But maybe here's a picture that we relate to a little bit more. Many of us are facing the same sorts of temptations that we faced before we were even Christians. Some of us will face those temptations for the rest of our lives. And it gets frustrating, doesn't it? That you look back on your walk with God, and you've seen how you've grown in so many ways... And yet there's this one or maybe two things that you struggle with the same every single day. And you fall to it sometimes. More often than you'd want to admit. And that can be really discouraging. That picture, or a variation of it, is one that a lot of us can relate to. Feeling like you're trapped in a cycle with the same temptations. Really struggling with the same things. And if that's where you are, you're not alone. Everyone in this room either has been there or is there right now. The question is, what do you do from there? Where do you go from there? How do I get out of this cycle of temptation and sin? Because Satan wants to convince you that you are trapped there and that you are alone and that no one here will understand you. That you might as well give up because you are the only one that is trapped in that sort of struggle. You're not alone. In fact, even the scriptures talk about these themes of guilt and isolation from God. And what happens to the God follower when they don't seek the joy of forgiveness. And the message that the scripture gives is that there is hope. If you want to read with me, I'm just going to start by reading all of Psalm 32 this morning. Psalm 32, 
starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which, may, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. For many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright of heart. All right, so this psalm is a song on forgiveness, and it's really a beautiful picture when you internalize it. In fact, it's almost overwhelming to me. The picture of these emotions that Scripture paints here. And I think the best way to really internalize this psalm is to just go back and look at it in greater detail. To note some of the themes and really dive into what David is portraying in this text. So let's just read verses 1 and 2 again to start. Blessed is the one whose, transgressions, uh, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So this serves as sort of an introduction to the text, but really the psalm almost begins with the conclusion. The psalm almost gives you the spoiler at the beginning, that this is where we're going. So what is the solution? David gives two blessings here. And maybe we would expect the blessing to be, you know, blessed is the one who has never sinned against God. Blessed is the one who is perfect in all things. But that's not what we see here. And that's in part because that wouldn't apply to a single one of us here. That would knock all of us out of the running for this blessing. Now this psalm is addressing the one who's already known the pains and fears that sin brings. This psalm is starting from the point of, I've already sinned. I've already felt this great guilt. What do I do now? Instead, both of these blessings are blessings on those who have been forgiven by God. On the ones who move past their sins through God. And I think that's the key to this passage. This, this second uh, blessing especially, that God gives forgiveness to those in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
The one who is blessed, the one who is granted forgiveness, is the one who does not hide their sin. They're not covering it up. They're not pretending to be perfect. Not before God and not before themselves. They are honest about their error. And so God blesses them greatly by not counting their sin. By cleaning the slate. Recreating them in a way. Blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven them. God covers their sin permanently. Let's read verses 3 through 7 again. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time where you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And here's really the focal point of the psalm. This is what this psalm hinges around. And it's a feeling that we all can relate to. I know that it is. Because I know that I've been on both sides of this coin. And if you're a Christian, you have been as well. We all know the crushing weight of the guilt of our sins. And we all know the relief, the joy of redemption and forgiveness. That weight being brought off of us. But unfortunately... Like we said earlier, Christians sin sometimes. And I know we already said that, but it's important to think about. We've all also felt the disappointment of realizing that just because we're Christians, the fight isn't over yet. I still remember the feeling of realizing that I needed to come to Jesus. The weight in my chest... The pit in my stomach. I realized it about halfway through a sermon, and I'm just going to tell you, I didn't get any of the second half of the sermon. Because I just felt like it was never going to end. I'm pretty sure that sermon was about two hours long. I knew what I needed to do, but you know what I also remember? I remember the feeling of coming out of that water. Realizing that I was right with God. That relief. The fire to go out and do the work of God. I remember I, I told my mom that night, she, uh, I get, well, I guess it was the next morning, she asked me how I slept. I told her it was the best sleep I've ever had in my life. I felt like I was sleeping on a cloud. Just that relief of knowing where I stood. But then the next day happened. And I don't even know what I did. I was probably being awful to my sister or something like that. But my mom pulled me aside, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, you know better. I know you know better because of what you did yesterday. And that's a feeling I had never felt before. That shame, that guilt, because she was right. I did know better. And here I was, not acting any better. 
as a gut punch. All that guilt was back. And sometimes it feels like ever since I've been bouncing back and forth between the joy of being at peace with God and his path and the guilt of you know better. It's a very personal thing. We all have our own sorts of stories that kind of relate to that. And it can be easy to feel isolated, trapped by your own sin. In fact, like we said, Satan wants you to feel isolated in your sin. It's easy to feel like you are the only one who knows that guilt of you should know better. Feeling that sickness in your bones. But you're not. David, a man after God's own heart, we always say, he felt that guilt and sickness. All Christians have felt that sickness. And David shares his own experience here as evidence for those blessings that we just talked about in verse 1 and 2. The first picture is verse 3 and 4. He said, I kept silent about my sin. I tried to hide it. He was covering his iniquity. And that's the key. We mentioned that already, but it's worth emphasizing because I think that there is a temptation there. When we sin, when we've done something that we know is wrong, there is a second temptation that comes immediately after. The temptation to hide that sin. Both from God and, and even ourselves. To duck the blame. You think about the very first sin, right after Adam and Eve made clothes to hide their nakedness. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. Adam and Eve made excuses about their sins, blaming everyone except for themselves. And we talk about that and we shame Adam and Eve for that, but we know it's not just them. David himself, when he had his sin with Bathsheba, instead of admitting his sin, dealing with the consequences at first, he tried to hide by sending Uriah back home to his wife. Then when that didn't work, he murdered Uriah through battle, using the very swords of God's enemies to cover his own sins. And that didn't even work. But that's what sin does. We want to hide our guilt. We want to cover our iniquity. But the psalm says, the one who tries to hide their sins, the one who deceives their own spirit, they are not blessed. They do not receive this forgiveness. Sometimes I think when we try to cover our sin, we think we can run from that guilt. We can outrun all of those feelings of well, the sickness in your bones, but that doesn't work. We know that. It just amplifies the guilt. You're going to feel weak and pained and stressed like the very hand of God is pressuring upon you. It's an awful picture, and yet it's a picture that we all know. That is the effect of sin, the effect of hiding our sin. Sin holds us back from God and his life and joy. But the question is, what do we do from there? And luckily for us, that's not the end of the picture. Because in verse 5, David says, I finally acknowledged my sin before God. He uncovered his iniquity. 
He's had enough of the consequences of this guilt. He brought his gross sickness before God and confessed it to him and repented. And God forgave that sin immediately. Not as a trial period where God says you have to earn that forgiveness back. There's not a negotiation that goes on. David acknowledged his sin and immediately God forgave the sin. God did not hold that sin against him just like he will not for us. Which is incredible. And that comes back to the blessing from the beginning of the psalm. The transgression is completely forgiven. The sin is covered. We know that we can't cover our sins up. That's what verse 3 and 4 says. But like verse 2 says, God can cover our sins everlastingly and permanently. Not that it's a cover up. That's what we try to do. It doesn't work. But God immediately lifts that burden up and he throws it away. But we can only receive that blessing. We can only receive that joy when we are honest before ourselves and our creator. There is no substitute or way around repentance. We must seek God for forgiveness. And that's what Psalm 32 tells us, that we, that's when we're blessed. Because our sin is covered. Everything changes when God forgives us. And then there's the call to action of sorts. In verses 6 and 7, David says, All those who are faithful pray immediately for forgiveness. Not someday, not indefinitely in the future, not when you feel like you've got yourself better under control. Pray for forgiveness now. And why? Because it's the only, the only chance that you're guaranteed is the chance that's right now. That's what David says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And you say, well, when, when is there a time where God can't be found? At the end of it. At the end of time when God cannot be found. David's saying, right now, you have a chance to repent. Don't throw that away. We always say, don't wait until it's too late. I feel like we have a lot of invitation songs that hinge around that idea. It's come now while you still can. That's what David says here. All those who are godly, all those who are faithful, pray now. If you believe in God, pray for forgiveness right now. Why should I pray now, David? And he gives you the comparison. Verse 3, the guilt of sin. Bones are wasting away and brittle. Strength is drained. But now, in verse 6, the great storms of life and judgment can come. Anything that can be thrown at you, and you're going to be fine through God. Verse 7, God is hiding and protecting and delivering him in joy. It's the complete reverse picture. The psalm says, if you, have, if you have sin and guilt that is eating you alive, you need to go to God right now. He will give you joy, he will give you strength, and he will give you deliverance. That's the power of God's forgiveness. That's the joy of a clean slate with God. 
Don't hold on to the pain. Embrace the joy of God's forgiveness now. And let's finish it out with verses 8 through 11. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The psalm's conclusion is don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. He says, he says you know better. Listen to the wisdom of this psalm. There are two paths. The paths of the sorrows of the wicked, the guilt and the pain and the weight of sin and covering up those sins. That's one path. And the other path is the steadfast love of God, the joy in his forgiveness. And you say, well, when you put it that way, it's pretty clear which way is the right path. We all would choose joy over pain, love over guilt. But David said what holds us back from making that obvious choice is our own stubbornness. So to those currently in the path of sin and guilt, David says, don't be stubborn. Don't throw this opportunity away. Wake up and join God's path of life. Don't wander off. Remember the lesson you learned in this psalm and seek God's forgiveness. But then to the righteous, to those in God's steadfast love, those experiencing a, the joy of a clean slate before God, David says, rejoice. Shout it out. Share that love aloud. We have to glorify God before others so that they may be inspired to walk the same path of freedom and joy that we've found. If you truly understand the gift that God gives you, David says, you're going to want to tell others. So that they can experience that same joy. So to all the Christians in here, we've experienced this joy of forgiveness. And we need to share it. So that's the psalm. It's a very, it's an overwhelmingly emotional piece of writing. It's a text that I think we all can relate to and there's a ton we can learn from it. Because we may be tempted to look at this as just a psalm pointed towards those outside of the church, telling them about the importance of forgiveness, and it, it would help those people, that's for sure. But Psalm 32 is just as helpful and just as necessary for those who have already experienced this joy. Those who know better and have gone right back to that guilt and that sin and that shame. David says, wake up, don't be stubborn, repent now while you still can. I had a lot more to say today, but then I talked a lot at the beginning, so I'm going to try to cut it short. There are those who feel that they are too far gone for God. 
that they have gone too far, they've committed the same sin too many times, they are too crushed by sin, they have let that sickness in their bones eat at them until they have no faith in God's power to heal and forgive them. They think God doesn't want them anymore. They've become isolated from God and his people. I hope that none of us are there. I hope that none of us are ever there. But if that thought ever creeps into the back of your head, I want you to remember Psalm 32. God wants to accept you back, and all he asks is that you turn back to him. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, everyone who is faithful, everyone who believes in God and his glory, pray to him immediately at a time where he may be found. Don't stubbornly throw away your faith. Don't try to cover up your own sin, because you can't. All you're going to do is bring more guilt and shame and sickness upon yourself. Colossians 2 says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's a great thing to be forgiven by God. Don't forget it. Don't stubbornly reject it. I know that you sin sometimes. All Christians do, even though we know better but you're not too far gone. Don't hide from God. Don't hide from the brothers here. God offers his people the joy of repentance and forgiveness. Join him in it. Give your life to him. We're going to offer a prayer, and then we're going to be dismissed to our classes. Father, thank you for the blessings of forgiveness. Thank you for covering our sins and creating new hearts in us. Thank you for the joy that it is to come before you in repentance. Help us to remember that joy when we try to cover our guilt. Help us to remember that that can only lead to pain. Father, we strive to walk in your way. We strive to rely on you to be our hiding place and our protector and our deliverer. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for watching over us. Give us the strength to put away our own stubbornness and to strive after your path. Father, we rejoice in the gift of life that you offer us. We praise you for that perfect gift. We love you more than we can say. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.